This is your Anime DGEN's Weekly Rundown 31. Let's go! Well, welcome back, everybody, uh, for another weekly rundown. We It's just me and Dan today. We are missing Tyler. Um, he'll be back uh, next week, I believe. And uh, But what we got for today, um, to start, Bleach Thousand Year Blood War is going to be on a break. Uh, we do have ZOM 100 back uh, for Episode 7. I know this one took a couple weeks to get out, but we made it. And then uh, Rurouni Kenshin Episode 9. Jujutsu Kaisen episode six, and then One Piece ten seventy four. When Dan, we, how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm kind of like when we started doing this, I figured we'd have a bunch of episode sevens, a bunch of episode eights, a bunch of episode nines, but we're we're not getting consistent with the releases. No, and I'm glad Bleach didn't give us a recap episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I try not to watch those. I mean, I, it's 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 a little much for me. And like the special episodes, not for me. So I try to stick to the, the canon stuff. But the beach episode, they can add that one. <laughs> There's always room for a beach episode. Always. Well, let's get right into it. So we're going to start with Zom 100, episode 7. Truck stop of the dead. Akira is still trying to repay Chief Kosugi by working for him at the truck stop for a few days. But there seems to be some other plans and some ulterior motives. Will Team Akira find a way to escape this hellish place? So the episode starts off with like a flashback to Shizuka's childhood. If you guys don't remember, Shizuka is the wrist girl. She's the, she's the stone-faced bitch who turned her boy down a few times. Yeah, yeah. Then she got rizzed up. She knew what to do with herself. So this flashback had me fucked up, dude. Yeah, wanted- man. She wanted a puppy and she like she found some like stray dog that was like needed to be taken care of. And her dad basically was like, you got to focus on success. Toss aside the week. Don't waste your time. Only do what you need to succeed. And basically was like, fuck dogs. So I don't like this guy at all. Yeah, no, he's a terrible human being, it seems. And uh, I mean, just going through everything that happened in Chico's past in relation to him, it was very strict. I mean, we come come to find later in the episode that he found the dog she was taking care of and, and put him down. That's some brutal shit to do to a young child. Fuck that guy. Yeah, no, for real. He's, he's a sack of shit. But we did learn a lot about why Shizuka acts the way she does. And it's basically like she just had to obey her father or else he would have like put her out in the street. Like quite literally, he was that ruthless. Yeah, I mean, that's that's no way to raise a kid, you know. Um, and now I feel more uh, sympathetic to Shizuka because, I mean, she's just doing what she's taught. And, you, you know, if your whole life is like that, of course, you're going to treat other people in a similar way. Although I would say she's much, much more compassionate than I would expect somebody that was raised like that to be. Yeah, she's definitely not a robot, you know, and um, this episode actually made me like her character a lot. Yeah, she did some really, it, really cool shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like like this was her episode uh, above anything else. Uh, the story progressed, but like this was the spotlight was on her 
she did all the the the, the plot pushing here. She was the catalyst, and I'm I'm really glad she's a part of the team now. She's got some uh, some depth to her. Yeah, definitely, man. So going back to the current time and place, we are at the truck stop. Kasugi is celebrating with his crew. You know, they're having that celebration after Akira got caught putting the beers in the fridge to cool them down for everybody. And Kosugi took all the credit. And this poor old lady goes to pour him a beer. And he basically smacks it out of her hand and says, why would I want a beer poured by an old hag like you? Which, I, I fucking hate this guy too. Yeah, no, there's a lot of sexist shit. Um in in this an, in this anime you know like a nice old lady comes to pour you a beer at a bar you're like thank you i appreciate that honestly anybody that'll pour me a beer i'm gonna be like thank you you know what i'm saying i mean shit dude my favorite flavor of beer is free and if somebody's exactly. pouring it for me i'm i'm in i'm in that's, that's <laughs> the best kind of beer followed by cold <laughs> yes yes but yeah he he has he he sees Shu, uh, shizuka over in the corner, like, you know, kind of watching our boy Akira get bitched down and uh, getting talked shit to. And he's like, you know, why don't you come over here, take a seat and, uh, you know, pour me a beer. And Buddy gets a little wild. Um, he's like, you know what, you, you know, pour another and you, this time you drink it. And it like. It, the, the camera like focuses on, on her drinking the beer and he gets really creepy and it's like, yeah, you swallow like a champ, et cetera, et cetera. I did not see that coming in this anime. I did not know they were going to go there like that. Um, and he like tells her, like, you know, there's something else I would like you to swallow. And I was taken aback by this. Um, talking to anybody in that way is just nuts. And like, he's just so out of touch with reality and like how he should be treating other people. It's wild. Yeah, man. I wanted to go through my TV and punch this guy in the face. Like, you yes. don't talk. When you're like some like 40 year old man, you do not talk to like a young woman like that. That is just so fucking disgusting. It's 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 repulsive. Um, they are doing a good job at making us hate this character. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 I mean, the writers are doing their jobs. If any of you guys listening like Kosugi, you can just just stop listening to our podcast. We don't we don't want you doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reevaluate your life if you've ever talked to a woman like that. Like for real. I mean, unless she's into it. <laughs> <laughs> Only by request, boys. Only by request. Um so like from here we start to get into further into that flashback we were talking about with Shikaza and, you know, how she was always told what to do because she just did it. Like, and she didn't even like, you know, say anything to him when she, he came out of pocket like that, which I thought she was a little tougher than that. I thought she was like a, a very hard person prior to this episode. And, um, she was saying she got told to do, told what to do so much as a child. She thought her name was Anita. What Dan, I tried to Google this and figure out what the hell they meant by that, but I couldn't find, I think, you know, the word Anita in Japanese means grace. So I'm not sure if there's like a translation error or something, but not really sure what she meant by that. Yeah, I I'm Googling it right now because I thought it might have been like maybe the way like you say do as you're told or something like that sounds like Anita. Yeah, that's that's what I thought, but I, I couldn't find a translation of that. But okay. I'm, I'm guessing that's what she meant. 
it, it had it had to be something like that. Um, but it just the translations messed up between Japanese and English in some way, the way we can't figure out what it means. Um, so it turns out her Shizuka's father was like a, a finance man that like built this massive company from the ground up, and he was feared by you know uh, other businessmen the world around. And she ends up like hiding that puppy that we were talking about, and like it's sick, and she nurses it back to health. It won't even bark. She, you know, in a few weeks, it's like barking and and like wagging its tail again. It'll eat. And she gets called into her father's office at, at some point. And he's like, oh, so you want to be a doctor? And I was, you know, I'm thinking that's that's very, um, that's admirable of her, you know, doctor. And then he says, you know, doctors, lawyers, we use those kinds of people. That's too risky. Uh, that's not good enough. You can do better than that. And then he proceeds to say, I saw, you know, I saw your possessions in that room up there. And I, and I, um, first of all, he, he referred to a puppy as a possession. I, I have pets. I would not say like they, they, they're my pets, but like, I wouldn't call them my possessions. That's something for inanimate objects. Yeah, that's, that's not what you say about your pets. That's a freaking member of your family, dude. Right. Exactly. Um, and yeah, he said, I had it put down by the Humane Society. And of course, that just breaks her. And um, he kind of goes on to say, you know, you, you have me, you know, you have me to thank for all this luxury. And all you need to do is shut up and obey me. And come to find out that's the same thing that Kosugi tells uh, Akira when he's like manipulating him in, in this episode, man. It, this is just a it's a heartbreaker. Oh yeah, this was definitely a rough episode. And I did I did translate do as you're told. Uh-huh. And the first word, if you were to say it in English, is anata. Oh so I think we're on the right okay. track here. Anata. Okay. I think we're on the right track here. Yeah, yeah. You you, you got it. You knocked that one out the park, my friend. Um, but yeah, Akira like drops some food and Kozuki's like, You need to, you might need to stay over the weekend for that. You wasted my food. Even though it was all canned food, did you notice that? Yeah, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, he's on some some crazy bullshit. But uh, yeah, he's like gaslighting Akira. You know, the only reason I'm so hard on you is because, you know, I have confidence in your abilities, so you should stay. I believe in you, even though I call you a, literally a, a, no better than a zombie and you're a piece of, you know, a company possession, as he says. Um, and he went and said some crazy shit again. Like, this man's on a tear right now. And he ends up saying, you know, decide, you know, freedom's tough, man. If you leave these walls, there's zombies out there. And then you have to decide what to eat and where to sleep and when to take a shit, bro. Like, you, you, do you really want to do that? And I've, I've never really had problems uh, that I didn't know when, when or where to take a shit. Yeah. Yeah. If I need somebody to tell me to hit the bathroom, we're going to, we're going to have some problems. Yeah. We're going to have a, a lot of laundry to do. <laughs> I like how you put that. Um, I mean, what do you think about his manipulation tactics, though? I mean, it definitely works. Like, that's there's a lot of people in the world who actually act like that. Yes. Like, yes. they use and abuse you, but they make it seem like they're taking care of you. It's, like, really fucked up. I just, I want to punch this guy in the face. Yeah, and, and then the fact that there's people that are really like this in the world, I think it's, um, there's, like, less hate for villains that do things that are kind of just like ridiculous in anime but when it's just a an old fart being abusive to people and gaslighting them 
into in, into control and domination. It's you see like stuff like that in your real life. Like I, I mean, I've had a boss that would would do things like this. Not he wouldn't tell us we were shit or anything like that, but to make you stay working there, he would kind of go hot and cold on you. And like you know, I'm seeing this, and like uh, people are responding to it how he wants them to. So it was it was it was eerie seeing this too for me. Oh, definitely, man. But yeah, no. Overall, like fuck Kasugi. Yeah, I wish he got eaten by. I was hoping he got eaten by zombies. It would yes. have been very, yes. really satisfying for me. Yeah, and I mean, Kasugi is just like a mirror to Shizuka's father. That's why they're showing us all these flashbacks, and uh, she's been in this situation before, and um, she didn't. She responded to it how Akira's responded to it right now. She just did what she was told. Um, but eventually Shizuka finds like the bucket list and the RV and we, we get a, we get a change in the, uh, the tone of the story and she writes uh, down number 37, which, you know, we'll reveal once we get around to it. But, uh, soon after that team Akira tries to leave, you know, his, his three days of work of work are over and, uh, the team's all better. Um, Kinsho is feeling good. He's like, you know, I'm sorry about that, guys. And, uh, you know, but he's good to go now. He's good. To, the muscle's back. And Akira's like, you know, they're walking back to the RV. And Akira's like, you know what, guy? He's like hunched over. He has like the, you remember those eyes from, what was it? Blue Lock. Like when they had like their striker demon takeover. It's like those squiggly line eyes. Yeah, they had the, he had the crazy guy eyes, but it was an yeah. entirely different type of crazy, you know? He was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so beaten down and tired and he couldn't even think and i think they were he was confused it's kind of like when you like see in pokemon when they use confusion and their eyes get all squiggly you know yes it, it was exactly like that tough to see our boy looking like that and, and, and feeling that way and he just kind of freezes up in front of this guy which is super super sad but uh yeah kira's like you know i'm gonna stay and shizuka's like fine like if you if you want to stay like, I'm out of here. Uh, like, Kinsha, let's go. Let's, let's bounce. But then he says the magic words versus Shizuka. Uh, he goes, I need to repay him for what he's done. And Shizuka flips a fucking switch. She was about to hop on that RV, and she's like, nah, that's not, that's not it. Didn't want to hear that. But, uh, Dan, you want to go into it a little bit? Yeah, definitely, man. So, like... Like I said, uh, Akira's basically planning on staying, and Shijiko comes in and says, I'm out, but I'm going to leave you with some words of advice. And she just goes on a rant. It was fucking awesome. And she basically says that, like, until today, I was just like you, and you helped me break that spirit and become a more free person. And she won't give herself over to anybody again. And she basically is telling Akira, like, you know, what about yourself? Like, your free will is yours. Nobody can take that from you. And she basically puts the dot, his notebook, his bucket list in his chest. And she wrote number 37 on it. Tell off my jerk of a boss. And I fucking loved that. And yes. Seeing that and kind of going through the bucket list and seeing all the awesome memories that he has in such a short time, you know, basically made him snap out of this. And he he tells off uh, Kasuki pretty good. So he's yeah. like, what about the debt you owe me? He's like, I won't be able to repay that. My apologies. 
It just he says my apologies like eight times with the biggest shit eating grin on his face. <laughs> it was like the nicest telling off I've ever seen. Um, he was like, yeah, I, I no longer want to work for you. I don't ever want to see you again. Um, you try to make everybody work and you don't do anything yourself. Um, I'm not a zombie and I don't want to, you know, it's I'd rather be a zombie and get eaten by them than live like one. And I was like, that's pretty powerful. That's some resolve right there. I love that. And you can kind of see the crowd like kind of breaking out of this spell too. And they're like, wow, we were all thinking that, but somebody, somebody finally said it. Oh, definitely, man. And this is the scene too, where we kind of get some, an unexpected turn of events in this safe haven truck stop they have going on. And so a couple of the guys on his crew were out doing a, uh, you know, like a run to find food and supplies and a zombie snuck into the back of their truck. And that shit just turns into a total whirlwind. Like the zombie comes out, bites one of the crew members. Uh, the other guy driving the truck starts to panic and like plows into the truck that releases a bunch of their slave zombies. And uh, a lot of people start getting bit. I mean, no longer a safe haven in any means, you know? And mm -hmm. it just kind of threw this whole camp in a disarray. And yeah. the only one who could stand up and start making like good decisions was Akira. Exactly. And like, you know, the workers started panicking. They were, were not listening to uh, the, the boss there, Kazuki. And like that kind of just shows you like the underlying distrust they have of him. If anything were to go wrong, they were going to leave him anyway. And, you know, Akira, the, the rest of the uh, team Akira is like standing on the trucks telling people what to do. And they round up all the zombies and kind of just blow them up with some propane. Love that. Yeah. So Akira is really the hero of the situation. Oh, definitely. And it was all his idea, too. Like, basically, he told the crew, like, hey, I've got a plan. We've got a corral of zombies around this food truck and food trucks like Bassett have a propane tank on them. So he loosened it up, basically caused gas leak. And this is after he saved Kasugi's life, too. So it's him and Kasugi up on top of the food truck and the crew comes around. He lights a flare. They jump off and he drops the flare. And I mean, cool guys don't look at explosions, dude. hundred percent right True. here. He's jumping through. There's a huge explosion behind him. It was fucking badass. Yeah. And I thought the decision by Akira to save Kazuki was very interesting, but also good for his character. It showed he's, you know, he still has a good heart. He didn't give a damn by the guy, but he doesn't want to see him get eaten by zombies either. And Kensho was confused. I would have been confused too. Like if somebody was talking to my, my boy crazy and we were about to leave. And uh, some unfortunate things happened as we were leaving the door. I might not look back uh, just how cr from how crazy he was acting. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> um, I would have been asking him the same question, but a, a good good boy, uh, Akira here, you know, saves the day, saves the whole camp and uh, his former boss there. So great moment. Just an uh, overall really great moment. Definitely, man. And when he's saving him, I think he says something along the lines of like, Watching somebody get eaten by a zombie wasn't on my bucket list, and I loved that line. That, that was, was a awesome. great rebuttal, yeah. And then after that, we kind of just get the see the crew driving away, and well, before that, actually, the crew's leaving, and the, you know the boss is still trying to take care of, uh, still trying to say, "Oh, my subordinates, you guys are great. I knew you guys would fix this," and everybody's like, "You know, man, I." 
fuck you. Like you're a lazy asshole and you've gaslitting us to being in this fucked up society that you run. We're out. Like we're not, we don't work for you anymore. And uh, you know, his insecurity and, and lack of control, he starts crying about it. It's like plea and pleading with him. Please no guys don't leave. It's tough out there. Still trying to gaslight a little bit, but it's like, you know, wasn't I such a good boss? And he knows that's not true, but he's hoping he can get some stragglers, which he doesn't. So he, Damn you know, shame. yeah, nice. Akira and the gang bust up the whole operation. Um, freeing the whole, freeing the whole uh, little society they had going on there. And then after that, we get uh, Shizuka and Akira talking in the RV going down the road. And Akira's a little distraught. He's like, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for work either at all. Uh, I've had two jobs now and they both sucked ass. <laughs> and Shizuka, in her little turn of heart there, you know, she says, there's no rush for a job. Do what you want and enjoy it. And so we got some good crack character growth out of her. And she kind of tells Akira, you know, new jobs come up every day. Look for something that you, you know, that you like doing and take your Maybe. time, brother. Yeah, I really like that. She's like, you know, all these new jobs have been created in the last 100 years. She talked about yes. like esport, esport athletes, all this other stuff. And she's like, you're in no rush, man. Podcasters. I am. <laughs> hobby. <laughs> a hobby, yes. I mean, some people do it as a job, though. You know what I'm saying? That's true. But maybe, yeah, I maybe mean. Maybe one day. Maybe one day, my friend. Maybe one day. <laughs> but yeah, it was cool to see her like transform during this episode. And I... When she said I was like you until today, I really didn't think that that change was that recent for her. You know, I figured maybe when she got away from her father, she she would start to change naturally. But she said it was really Akira that 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 spurred that. Even in his, I guess, lowly state that he was in, he he still had the the ability to inspire her. Amazing definitely stuff. Hard hitting oh. episode right here. Yeah, it was definitely a really good one. Um, I enjoyed it. I wish kosugi got eaten but i'm a so dick bad. so yeah so bad that would have been so <laughs> satisfying but uh, i think his time's gonna come regardless yeah he's, but, not, uh, la- he's not lasting much longer out there with no help no nah, no no cronies uh but you ready for some raroni kenshin let's do it baby all right guys we got raroni kenshin episode nine the obi-wan shoe strike I don't know why they added the shoe there. But uh, the first Obi-Wan attack is stopped very quickly by Kenshin, Sano, and Yahiko. Uh, however, y- Yahiko is poisoned, poisoned in the process. And from there, we get to learn a lot more about Megami's past and her connections to the Kanru organization. So this episode starts with the introduction of Hyotoko's um uh, being he is this massive red guy and i really wish tyler was here for this i wanted to see how he liked the fight as they're kind of heating up a little bit more but it was yeah, actually a little <laughs> subconscious puns um but i, I this fight kind of underwhelmed me um but before we kind of get into that you know sano was which is a great comeback you know he says his name and sano's like you know that that name's too cute for for you dude you need to change it i thought that was a really funny um i've met some people where their names just don't fit them you know what i'm saying and it's like uh yeah but um sano thinks he's a good matchup for hiotoko and he says you know he didn't have any weapons and he's 
he's obviously really strong. He's eight feet tall and like built like a brick shit house. So they start going after it and Sino comes in for a you know a little punch and this is just the opening the flame user needs. And he lets out his first flame breath with those janky ass teeth. He has like four teeth, y'all. And they're made out of flint and a little uh, oil hose that goes down to his belly. And he kind of just sears our boy Sano a little bit. Very, very, very interesting. I forgot what his fighting style was. And let me tell you, the fact that he swallows a sack and has a hose coming out his like throat, that must be so painful. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it, it probably is um it has to hurt right it has to hurt i bet the inside of his mouth is actually scorched oh yeah i mean he literally just basically like uses his abs to like pump oil out of this thing um, clicks his teeth and he starts breathing fire it's crazy yeah he had some well-defined abs whenever he went to go do it though i was impressed that that gut looks like it's just from the sack, or mostly from the sack. Yeah, he's still shit, a big boy, but you know that shit animated was like I was like, oh my god, this is getting a little too cartoony right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kitchen has like some semi-realism going on, so it was a little bit out of character. I thought. I mean, he's also a giant red man, so you know he could be painting himself to you know look more fierce, but I don't know. I don't know if they do war paint in that uh, organization. It's a lot of uh, paint. It's a big it, guy. Yes, I mean, he might just be stained at this point. (laughs) But they kind of actually go into where he gets his name from. And it is, his name's Yoko Toko, which it it stems from the word hai, which means fire, and otoko, which means man. So his name is literally Fireman. (laughs) Very creative. Very creative. (laughs) 10 out of 10. I could have just left that part out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they did that, but I feel like I should 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 bring it up since they did. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but Kenshin steps in after Sano gets uh, his leg gets scorched a little bit, and uh, Kenshin uh, kind of goes off here. I think this was like the best set of visuals we got out of this episode, and so Hiyotoko kind of does his flame breath again, and Kenshin proceeds to just cut the flame. Built very, very different. It was built very, very different. Yeah, it was honestly beautiful. Um, There were some screensaver moments in here. For me, at least. I I love Roroni Kenshin, as you guys know. But Megami, in this moment, tries to run away. And Kairu comes up behind her and is like, you know, he's doing this for you. You have to watch this fight. Which is honorable in the first place. I I would be somewhere hiding, personally. (laughs) Yeah, Hell. and I mean, Megumi comes back and she's basically like, you know, Hisoko is a mid-ranking ninja in the Oniwaban. Kenshin can't win this. And Kaoru's response is like, nah, bro. This man's built different. Don't yes. worry about it. He's no mm-hmm. ordinary swordsman. <laughs> and even Sano. I mean, Sano is freaking nuts, too. Like, these aren't, your, these aren't your average fighters. These guys are legit. They're the real deal. So yeah. stick around or else I'm going to come at you. And mm-hmm. also, don't touch my man. <laughs> I feel like in this remake, Kaoru is like way more defensive of Kenshin. Uh, at least like outwardly. They've added a lot of, I guess, like little clips of her like 
you know, saying don't mess with him, like he's he's mine and shit like that, which wasn't in the original. It was it was made way more like between you had to read between the lines to understand that she liked him that much. Yeah, it was definitely more subtle in the original, not not the remake though. She's all in. Yeah, no, she's she, the cards are on the table and everybody knows it. Uh, but yeah, Maggie B realizes that Kenshin is built different, and he says, and she literally says, "What the hell are Sano and Kenshin?" It's a great question because Sano is is body made out of iron with a with the strength of an ox type deal, and I could you imagine if he had like proper sword training, what that fucking guy would be? I mean, if he had an actual sword, not a. Meat what? cleaver from Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> I mean, he was doing work with it, but yeah, if he had some training, that that would be insane. He'd be insane. Um, but yeah, Yo Yo Toko ends up using all the fire on him, and you know, Kenshin don't give a shit. He's like, he actually calls it a street performer trick. So I'm loving the disrespect from Team Kenshin in this episode. It's it's sometimes subtle, but when Kenshin gets to talking shit to you, it, it, it hits different. You know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely, man. And this led up to so like Bass said, Hitoko was out of out of oil in his little sack, and just seeing him refill that thing casually in the background was so funny. I'm like, dude, you bring a funnel with you? <laughs> <laughs> He's got his no. head caught back with the funnel in it. I was like, so oh you my look goofy, God. man. And he only gets nine blast breaths out of it. Um, fire breaths. He's not Kaido. He's yeah, not he's, Kaido. Not, he's not hitting with the Boro breath. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just seemed like very silly that he can only do nine blasts. But apparently he's effective enough to be a mid-range shinobi. So, you know, more power to him. But Sano, before he can get off uh, another set of blasts, literally sticks his fist into... Uh, his mouth to pull out the cord that has, I guess, the hose that has the oil. And it was, that was pretty gross. I thought it was hilarious when he went up to punch him in the face and grabbed him, grabbed the cord out of his mouth. But just seeing the sack with all the, the fluid on it, it was, it was fucking disgusting. Dude, that would be so painful. Again, like, imagine <laughs> having, like, the sack is like the size of a pig. It's not small. No. And he rips it through his esophagus. Like, that has to be so freaking painful, man. Throat goat? Throat goat. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's unimaginable. I don't think you could do this in real life. And if somebody has, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm um, kind of interested now. You're kind of interested now? Okay. Okay. <laughs> He's on his phone now, guys. Uh, but after they defeat, uh, Sano comes in, kicks Buddy in the face. And after they defeat him, uh, Beshami, the little um, the little bullet guy, kind of flicks those uh, stones at people. Is getting very afraid because he's like, I I can't fail twice. Like I'm gonna, they're gonna kill me if I go back saying that I did not get Megami. And he decides, you know what? If I can't capture her, I'm gonna fucking just, you know, I'm gonna finish her off. And uh, he's he tries to shoot like a poison lace bullet stone thing at her. And our boy Yahiko, this is like his first. I'd say big moment in the story where he makes a major impact and he jumps in front of the bullet, gets hit in the wrist and he ends up poisoned. But now there's somebody else on the scene. 
Shinomori, the leader of the Obi Waban group, is there to kind of come get his guys. He realized that they're not going to get Mega Meat today. And he tells Kenshin, you know what? We're going to be back, but I'm taking these guys with me. And they do a little clash um, as Kenshin is trying to get um, him to leave Bishimi behind to help Yahiko. But Kenshin realizes, like, oh, this guy's the real deal. And he kind of has to back off. Uh, he kind of repels one of his swings and uh, he leaves. You know, Shinomori leaves. Yeah. But. Oh, I was going to say, this led to like a really impressive scene from our girl Megumi here. Um, so it turns out that she's actually from a family of doctors. And she recognized what type, type of poisoning it was like instantly. She sees the symptoms. She's like, okay, and this is stramonium leaf poison. Gives instructions to save Yahiko and is like, take these to a doctor. Your boy will be good. And it comes out, you know, the doctor does detox Yahiko. Uh, basically saves him. He's like, he'll be good in like three or four days. And the doctor actually knows of Megumi and how, like, where she learned this skill from the Tanaki clan, which is a clan of doctors that's pretty much just been destroyed in the Battle of Aizu. And her father was the leader of the clan, taught and learned Dutch slash Western medicine. I like yep. how they call it Dutch medicine. I think that was interesting because you always hear Western medicine. Yeah, I mean, medicine, did the never Dutch actually that. start this thing up? Like, I, I, I really should look into that, actually. And, like, so the, the doctor that's talking about Megami, he's like, this had to be a master doctor. These instructions are perfect. They, it tells you exactly how to make this compound that's going to save him, how much to, you know, give him, when to give it to him. So he was very, very impressed. He knew this was a, a highly skilled person uh, when it came to medicine. But yeah, it, it turns out Megami's entire family's dead, bro. Which I completely forgot that. I don't remember Megami's backstory. I didn't remember Megami's backstory that well. And kind of seeing that, you know, her entire clan died in the Battle of uh, Aizu was pretty tough. Um, so she's the last of her, of her people, which were renowned doctors. And, you know, the doc that doctor, the, the older doctor, is kind of explaining that to Karu and Sano as he's like healing Yahiko. But outside, we have a completely different situation going on where Megami is explaining her full story to Kenshin. So we're kind of getting this back and forth at the same time. This is kind of like, you know, the release or the drawing back of the curtains for Megami. Because I, I imagine if this is your first time watching this show, like you probably think Megami is the biggest piece of shit because she's been selling opium. That's what I would think, at least. Um, you know, no one, I don't think anybody really likes drug dealers. Not I. Yeah, and it comes out, too, that this just isn't even normal opium. This is synthesized opium, which is, like, heroin. Like, this yes. is this is the good shit. And uh, they called it spiderweb, and that she's the only person who knows how to make it now. Which is why she's been working under Connor, who basically, I don't want to say as a slave, but... More or less. Being forced to make this, you know? And yeah. she knows how bad it is. She knows how strong it is, but she just couldn't get away. And once she kind of saw what was happening with it, she's like, all right, I have to leave. But, you know, I thought it was fitting that it was called Spiderweb because she's essentially trapped in his Spiderweb, which I thought was pretty clever. Yes. yes. Uh, it's also trapping the customers because she said it was twice as addictive um, and uses half the ingredients. 
So it was four times the profit. And that's why he cares, you know, Conroe te- cares so much about keeping Megami. Like she's the cash cow, you know, he said last episode of the episode before that, you know, he, she's pretty much, you know, the, the, the goose that lays the golden eggs. Oh yeah. I mean, again, it's heroin. It's, this isn't opium anymore, guys. This is, this is the legit street drug, like 10 times as potent, all that kind of stuff. You know, we see it, you see it all over. So it's crazy yes. that they're kind of taking the opium to that level, which is really fucked up, but yeah, it's very, very dangerous. I mean, a lot of people are dying because it's so potent and they're so addicted to it. And, you know, she even says like, you know, within, we don't do something within what you say within three to five years, like in the entirety of Tokyo would be addicted to this stuff. And that would be devastating for, you know, Japan as a whole in, in this story. Um, but she was tricked. She, you know, she was made to think that she was making medicine for a long time. So she was just working under the wrong guy, the wrong doctor for a few years there. And she got wrapped up in this. So this is completely not her fault. Uh, she is definitely shady, can be shady, but she was been, been living in a shady world. So can't really blame her for it. Definitely. And, and yeah, after this, I, I thought it was a pretty funny thing. You know, Kenshin's, you know, uh, saying, you know, you've suffered enough. Like you've, you've been doing this for three years, knowing you're killing people. You're doing this against your will. I can't really hold that against you. Uh, we got to go handle this, this Kanru guy, but uh, I'm going to ask Kauru if you can stay here. And this is the scene that Dan was talking about earlier. I thought it was hilarious. You know, Kauru's like, yeah, sure. And then she like slides over to Megami, whispers in a whispers in her ear. And is like, you know, if you make a move on Kenshin, I'll ruthlessly throw you out into the street. I was like, okay, I see you, you know, you do your thing, but yeah, she, it's just like she's so forward about this whole situation now. I think it's funny. I love it, dude. Yeah, and then after that scene, we get Aoshi reporting back to Conru. Uh, basically, it's revealed that Kenshin injured Aoshi's liver during this this quick clash they had, and he was really surprised that Kenshin was able to pull that off. And he can't fight for three days, so Conru is going to have him basically do some ninja shit. Classic ninja <laughs> shit here, and looking at Kenshin, Kenshin's history, learn everything he can about these t- these guys so they can find a way to beat him. Which classic ninja shit, dude. Espionage. And Conru is he's starting to realize who Kenshin is. You know, he was like, again, he said it for like the third time, like red hair and a scar on his face, and he's he's fucking with my boy. This is this is who I think it is. Like right. it's got to be. Yeah, I mean. How many red-haired samurai are there out there with, you know, giant X scars on their face? Right. I mean, very recognizable person. It should be anyway. And especially with this skill level, I'm sure there's not many people out there can that can really box with Kenshin like that. So, Yeah, there's only one Batosai. Exactly. You we, got we, it. This was made very clear in the first episode when there was a fake Batosai. And Kenshin came and brought down the hammer on him. Said, don't you fucking disrespect my name. <laughs> You too soft, son. You too soft. But yeah, no, I, I really wanted to talk to Tyler about this uh, because he he was he was wanting to see some of like the fights pick up a little bit, and we got a little bit of uh, that, even though I think the fight was underwhelming. But I think it makes sense because they're doing they're trying to cram more info into these shows. But if you know they they drew drew out this fight for maybe another three or four minutes, I think we could have gotten a lot more out of it. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, they've been putting two episodes of the old show in every episode of the new one. So the yep. pacing has been great, but it does take away from the fighting, like you're saying. So, yes, I was, I was hoping with this new animation that we we get some clean, drawn out fights. But we got about, I think, maybe 30 or 45 uh, seconds of really, really clean fight animation. It was oh. dope, but it was it was very short lived. It's just building up to the big one. Don't worry about it. Hey, we, I'll be right here. I'm watching. Did you uh, did you catch the uh, scene after the credits? No, please please elaborate. Okay, so I was cracking up during this, and it caught me off guard really hard. So, oh, what's his name? Conru, the mm-hmm. shady businessman, basically was meeting with people from what looked like the U.S. Navy, God, and they damn. were all talking in English. But it was like that terrible Japanese dub English. I need it. You need to go watch this. It was so funny. Like, <laughs> Hello. Nice to meet you. And I was like, oh, my God. They're going Even the Americans out. were doing it? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, oh yeah. Shit. He had a guy translating for him and everything else. But basically, the, it looked like an admiral of a, of, of a like, of sea vessel it was like, hey, here's your package. And there's a very strange crate that he opens up. And uh, Connor is basically like, this is what I need to, to be a god. So I don't remember what's in this crate at all. I don't either. I have so, an idea, but I'm, I, I think I may be right. Um, so I'm not going to spoil it. I'm thinking it's guns. I'm, yeah, it's... I'm, it's got to be guns, it's right? It's fucking guns, bro. It's always guns. It's the Americans. It's what we do. We got blinky. <laughs> On deck. All of us. Um, but it, it's... it's that'll, that'll be a very interesting uh, change to what's kind of going on in the story. And I think it's not just like any types of guns because some people in Japan already have them, right? Yeah, I think it's like, an introduction. introduction like muskets and shit like that, bro. Yeah, they have um, flintlock pistols, l- right. little guns. Not, yeah. not what we roll with. We got magazines. We got, we got automatic weapons. Yes. This might be a chain gun, dude. That'd be nuts. That push to start and it go type shit. I want to see Kenshin fight a chain gun, dude. That'd be lit. Dude, like a little mini gun against Kenshin? <laughs> wow. Wow. Be electric. But we'll find out. I think probably next episode with how the pacing's been. So, yes, it's going by quickly. But definitely go watch it because the English was peak comedy. Sometimes they just need to phone a friend in an English speaking country. But we'll it see. Was, no, it was so bad. It was good. It okay. Was perfect. I okay. Loved it. I loved it. I love it, dude. it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, yeah, if, you, if you're watching Kenshin with us, make sure you go watch, you go peep that uh, after credits scene. But it's been annoying because, like, they don't do one every episode. So you have to go look. Yes, but, that's what's been getting me. I don't think there was one on the last one, and I looked, so I forgot to look this time. Oh yeah, I've just been I've been fast forwarding through the credits, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't that's not that's not Kairu's face. What's this? <laughs> <laughs> but awesome, I get a JJK. Hell yeah! So the long wait is over, folks. Jujutsu Kaisen is back, and it's like that. That is the name of the episode. It's like that. <laughs> So in this roller coaster of an episode, we return to the present to find a possible love interest for Yuji, a newly recommended first grade sorcerer. 
Hey. We also find out who one of the Jujutsu High moles are. So the episode starts off with the main trio walking around Tokyo. <laughs> Yuji's explaining that he's going to go see some movie called Human Earthworm 4. She doesn't want to see it. And they, he pulled up the trailer on his phone, and this shit looked so dumb. I want to go see it. It okay. Um, you got to speak for yourself on that one. Uh, this looked disgusting. One, it was a human earthworm, <laughs> and there were little earthworm babies, and that that part really took me out. You, you know, know what? I, uh, uh, they were all like saying, "Daddy, daddy." That Papa, shit was disgusting, Papa. bro. You're not looking at the big theme here, though. This this is a love story about a Jesus. woman who falls in love with an earthworm man. Disgusting. <laughs> and like it was human earthworm four, so they made three of them before this in that universe. I thought that that's what was surprising to me. It's yeah. doing well in the box office. I mean, shit, dude. We're on like Scream Five, right? Scream Six at this point. The first few screams were pretty decent, though. Yeah, but it's the same movie over and over again. Yeah, it's true. True, true, true. <laughs> they love to do that with the thrillers, you know what I'm saying? Oh, the horror movies, dude. I mean, how many movies do we have about oh god, Michael Myers, Jason? There's Freddy. so many Jasons. I mean, you have Freddy versus Jason, dude. There's a million of them. Dude, you remember so uh our audience, me and Dan used to uh be roommates at some point in the past. We had a speaking of Jason, we had a roommate whose last name was Voorhees. And for months, I thought he was just bullshitting and lying to me until I like, saw his idea. I was like, his last name is really fucking Voorhees. Like, what's going on here? Fuck that, dude. Don't, <laughs> don't, go, don't go near Crystal Lake with that guy. <laughs> but I mean, dude, those movies are great. I saw yes. my first boob in Freddy vs. Jason. I was like nine. Eight, something like that watching this movie and that scene happened my mom was like i didn't know this was gonna be in this movie and i'm thinking back at it now i'm like it's a horror movie there's always some blonde bimbo with tits out it's just <laughs> it's, it's the horror movie formula dude she's so innocent she's so innocent <laughs> uh, i th- i think my my first boob was uh janet jackson at the super bowl halftime show that is true but i don't have vivid memories of that one. Oh, i do there you go. Yeah, yeah. That was on my birthday, too. But what a, what a birthday, the, right? You got the, <laughs> Justin Timberlake personally did that just for you, man. My motherfucking man. But let's get back to the episode, man. Um, so, yeah. Like he said in the, the intro there, Toto and Maymay have recommended like our, uh, our main trio. And then also Panda and Maki for first grade sorcerers. And they also set up some rules around it, which I think are going to come into play uh, in the next few episodes here as as the season closes down. So in order to become a first grade sorcerer, first thing, you got to be recommended by two first grade sorcerers. That that is complete. But next, they're going to have to carry out a mission under a different first grade sorcerer. So you got to get judged by somebody else, recommended by somebody else. And then the third caveat is you're going to be assigned your first first grade mission to do on your own. No team, just you, 1v, the hands. <laughs> and then from there, depending on how you do on this mission, they will or will not make, they will upgrade you from a semi-first grade to a first grade sorcerer. So, so here's something I don't get about this, right? What's up? 
So Yuji is already special grade. Isn't that higher than first grade? Uh, that is higher, uh, but I, I don't think he's officially a special grade. Oh, okay. He's, like, a, he's a special grade because Sukun is inside of him. But yeah. I don't think he's like officially on the books as a as a. He still has to go through the process, even though Jogo's like, yeah. Uh, Gojo's like, yeah, you're you're definitely special grade, my G. Yeah, I mean, you have the king of the demons living inside you. Come on, right? If anything goes too far left, we know he's just gonna come out and start boxing. <laughs> So, That's the best part of the show. Yeah, it really is. Bro's a menace. Shows up, dude. Yeah, he, he's an absolute menace. Um, he's always dicking on the other uh, curse spirits. I love it. So Toto and Maymay are kind of doing this little ping pong thing while they're talking and explaining these rules to us. So it was a good way to do that. Um, it felt natural, even though like, why am I watching ping pong and JJK? Cool. Um, hey, actually, I was thinking... Well, one ping pong, I suck at it, but it is fun to watch people play. And also, are there ping pong anime? There's got to be a ping pong sports really anime. Does. I mean, it just seems like it's got to happen. I mean, I believe it's super, super big in um, uh, Eastern Asian countries. So there's no way there's not. But I think I want to watch one because this was a cool couple minutes. But from there... um. Toto, while they're playing the ping pong, kind of says, you know, you, you know, UG1 is going to definitely accept this. He's going to accept the uh, opportunity because he needs to go on more dangerous missions to increase the chances to find more Asukuna's fingers, which I thought was a good thing to point out because I hadn't really thought about that. Bro needs yeah. them fangas. Yeah, it's been a while since like we've actually like followed the story of Yuji. I mean, you think about it, season one ended in what, like? 2021 2021 and then we got the movie that had nothing to do with them yep that happened in late 2021 yep and then we just had the the flashback arc so like i don't even remember half of jjk at this point i mean i i I know the premise but like it's been a (laughs) while i've watched a lot of i was i was right same for me um probably not as quite as much as you but i definitely had to look up some characters names um, whereas like one piece that comes on every week and we don't, you know, I don't need to, I know their names. I, I see them every week. So it's just a bit different, but it was good that he pointed that out. as kind of a reminder and to like jog memory there. Yeah. But so after this ping pong game, we get a massive curveball thrown that I did not expect at all. So Nobara runs into Yuji's old classmate, uh, Ozawa. And she is a very tall lady. Yes. She's like six foot two, probably. She's, she, she <laughs> I don't is, know if she's that tall, Dan. I mean, you got, she had like six or seven inches on Nobara. And you got to figure she's five, six at least, right? We're about to see. <laughs> but so basically it comes out that she's had a crush on Yuji for a long time. But in middle school... She was short. She was a little, uh, little stocky. Yeah, she was a little stocky. She was uh, not easily tipped over. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so Nobara is actually 5'3". So that girl's not that tall. She's maybe like 5'9". Okay. She's like 5'10". Okay, we'll give her, I'll, give you, I'll, give you, I'll give you the inch. She is tall for a Japanese woman. Yes, she's tall for most women. And she grew six inches in six months which I imagine had to be painful. 
Well, hey, man, easiest way to uh, trim down your uh, your body weight is just to get really tall. <laughs> I had the same thing happen to me. I was a husky little guy, and I grew about eight inches in like sixth grade. It was Boom. fit as fuck after. <laughs> just got to stretch it out. But there was this hilarious scene where Ozawa and Nobra were talking, and they're like, it's like that. And she's like, Ozawa just looks back at her. It's like, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> and the way they animated it was so funny. Like, I forgot that Jujutsu Kaisen did that dumb, like, Full Metal Alchemist style animation. Yes, yes. And I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. No, it was, this scene was really fun. Um, I, I don't think we're really sure. If you haven't read the manga, you're like, not really sure how this ties into it. And I, I haven't read it either. So, but it was really fun. This part was really fun because they always take, like, uh, each other's love interests so seriously on their their team. Anytime they like talk, you know, a guy's talking to a girl or Nabarro's talking to a guy, they're all like, even Gojo's like, "Ooh, what's happening here?" So it was it was cool to see them get back to that. I'm very very happy about it. And then there was this really funny scene where Nabarro was like, "Did my heart just skip a beat? Like, does does she have some like deep hidden feelings for her boy Yuji? Like, is that is that gonna come out?" She, I think she might because she was trying to explain to Ozawa that, you know, I, you know, hell would freeze over before I got with Yuji. And like, as she's saying this, like her heart skipped a beat and I, I'm a little concerned for Nobara here. You know, maybe that's some misplaced hate she's got going on. She's got some competition in this 510 behemoth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so they go to this diner, they're having this conversation, and then they got to call him the UG expert. So they call him Megumi, Megumi. And he's like, they're like, does UG have a girlfriend? And he's like, no, he has this pinup poster. It's just this babe in a bikini on his wall at the dorm. And he's basically like, no man with a girlfriend would have that on their wall. That's so disrespectful. Right. And- <laughs> that was a great deduction, though. Not gonna lie. Big time. And they're like, okay, what kind of girls does Yuji like? And he's like, he likes tall chicks. <laughs> and Nobara, before you can even blink an eye, pulls out her phone and is like, get to the diner right now. Why? Just come. He's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and as I was like, that was pretty, like, uh, that was kind of straightforward of you. It's very forward, you know, how Nobara is. She plays no games. This is, she's like one of my favorite female characters uh, of, of recent times. Uh, just just a bad bitch. Just a bad bitch. That's all. But yeah, the, she's like, a, yeah, you have a chance. I'm getting him here right now. And it doesn't waste any time. And good old Yuji shows up. And the next thing you know, Nabara's like really concerned. She's like, oh, fuck. I didn't tell him who was here. Uh, she's changed a lot. He might not remember who it is. And Yuji just walks up and he's like, oh, what's up, uh, Ozawa? And everybody's like, okay. They like chill out and then they actually put up like the 10 out of 10 signs, which was another little goofy moment out of here. Love it. But this led to a flashback of him basically like he was like the only person who was nice to her. Like she was definitely didn't have a lot of friends. Definitely none of the boys were talking to her. That's for sure. Yeah. And there's a scene where she's like sitting outside of the classroom, kind of like eavesdropping on their conversation. And two of Yuji's friends from middle school were like, so. You know, if you had to pick a girl from our school, you know, who would you pick? And he's basically like, oh, I don't know. I don't really care. That's not my thing. 
And they're like, no, if you had to pick. And he said Ozawa. Because, sure she can, because she can eat. She can eat. Her handwriting's pretty, he said. And she was nice. Yuji's got a type. He wants a tall woman who can put down as many plates as Goku. Boom. 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 But yeah, so they kind of skip over them actually talking. And in the end, uh, they're kind of just like walking out. Uh, Ozawa doesn't look too happy. She's going back to the, the train station. Uh, and it turns out they didn't actually exchange contact information. But Nabara kept Ozawa's uh, phone number, you know, just in case. Because she, I think she's going to put this thing together for him. They don't, you know, he doesn't know what he needs right now. And, uh, but Nobara is actually a little mad because Yuji might get a girlfriend before she gets a boyfriend. And I think that's just straight up jealousy. That's yep. just envy. Envy and jealousy. I don't think Yuji's looking for a girlfriend, man. He's definitely not, but Nabara, Nabara wants some attention, I think. Oh, definitely. Well, would you like to get to the more uh, plot-focused part of this episode? Yeah, this part was fun, but yeah, uh, back to the plot. So we come back, and it's the main trio again, and Udihime, who we met actually in the flashback arc from earlier this season, is given a little briefing on, you know, there's a mole in the organization. Well, there's two. And they think one of them's high up, so they can't go after them. But they realize there's one that's on a lower level sending the info up. So Nobara figures it out that it's someone from Kyoto, since the Tokyo team is working on it. And it ends up being Mechamaru. So if you guys remember him from the first season, he's the one with, like, the debilitating health issues i guess he lives in a bathtub yeah he has like paper skin like he said even moonlight burns his skin um he breaks his bones all the time just moving around so he's in a lot of pain every day all day so it makes sense that he would be the one that could get manipulated in the first place and then also from there it's like he uses mechs so he is probably really really good at espionage yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you know, we've seen his main mech form, which is like that wooden dude. But he could control something as small as a fly. You know, he has the perfect ability for espionage, like we're talking about, and gaining information. Yes. Um. So basically, Udihime and the main trio go to where Mechamaru is supposed to be staying. And sure enough, it's empty. There's nobody there. He's gone. And we basically go from there to the new scene where you have... Mechamaru meeting with Ghetto mm-hmm. and Mahito, and Mahito's ability, Idol Transfiguration, should be able to heal him. And they're like, why don't we just kill him now? And Ghetto's like, no, we had a pact. We got to see it through the end, and then we'll kill him. Yeah. So like pretty much, yeah, Ghetto's just saying that, um, you know, it's, it's different than when you make a pact, you know, with yourself or for yourself. It's like you, you just lose the ability that you, you know, the pack for he's like it's different when you do a pack with somebody else like unexpected things happen so we have to hold up our end of this deal but once the deal's over we can do whatever the fuck we want and we're gonna kill him and i thought it was really smart of, of ghetto to go after this guy uh he's the most vulnerable person i would say uh you you have something he needs which is skin, skin. and a body <laughs> yes health. um yeah health just just general health um but I wanted to go back to Udahime. Did you notice she had that massive scar on her face? 
I did. I did. She definitely did not have that in the hidden inventory arc. So I'm curious to see how she got it if they go into that. Yeah. I, like it's such, it's so big that I feel like they should say something. You know what oh, I'm yeah. saying? And it looks like her head almost got cut off, dude. Like, right. That's what I'm saying, bro. Like something ripped a lot of skin off of her face. So I, I, we got to, we got to know. Let us oh, know. Definitely. But, well, don't let us know if it's spoilers. Don't, don't, don't tell us. We want to find out. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. But so the idol transfiguration is complete. Makamaru's got a body back and he starts coming at these guys with puppets like crazy so he can go to his latest prototype puppet. And let me tell you, Dan was a big fan of this. <laughs> you new don't puppet say, bro. Got. This shit wasn't a puppet it was a goddamn gundam this thing looks like it was out of evangelion like it was a giant robot he's actually inside of it he's he's a gundam pilot now it's it's done i'm a big fan yeah when i saw this i was like i know dan is eating this up right now whoever thought we'd get mechas in jjk and a and nice one a really fucking nice one too this was no bullshit mecha it had like screen like a, a dome not a dome but like an a spear with screens and and uh mechamaru sitting in the middle of it controlling it with his hands and voice controls i was like yeah this is right up dan's alley it was a fucking gundam dude <laughs> uh yeah so the Shit. name of the name of the new puppet was mechamaru mode absolute armor puppet ultimate mechamaru prototype o bam i mean Thank he you. has to work on the naming but he's got the design down like, I'll give him that. Like, he's been working hard, obviously. Oh, definitely. So we get to this big fight. Ghetto lowers the veil to cut off communication with the other sorcerers. And Mechamaru fires off this crazy-ass beam attack. It's fucking awesome. Big fan. Big fucking fan. I want to go yeah. watch it again now. Yeah, I've watched it twice. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, <laughs> did you notice, like, there was... Um, Mechamaru had like this year counter, I guess time counter, and it seemed like he has he has like energy stored up. He had like eighteen years worth of uh, curse energy stored up in this machine, so he's been working on this bad boy for a minute. And he used a whole year, one out of the eighteen, just on that one blast. So I don't think he's got a lot of stamina and going on for this thing, you know? Oh, definitely. And then he also went into his win condition because I don't, I think he knows he can't defeat ghetto and um, what's, what's the curse's name? Oh, the other curse user. The one with like the uh, my, my, Mahito. Mahito. Yeah, the, Mahito. The, the, yeah. So my, I know he, he, I think he believes like he can't beat both of them. So he, he gets going with his win condition and he says, Oh, ghetto just dropped this veil and he's trying to cut off my communication. So I can't call Gojo. He's like, I have to get to Gojo or contact Gojo so he can deal with these two. He's like, I just have to fight these off and buy time. Which I don't think he's going to get out of this bad boy alive, man. I just don't see like how he's going to get it. You know, if shit gets too hairy, Ghetto's just going to step in. And he's kind of just sitting back letting uh, Mahito do his thing. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, I don't care. I got giant robots. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> An astute analysis from Dan also, here. <laughs> also, I mean, Nekamaru's the mole. They're going to figure it out. And I don't know how the sorcerer community is going to feel about that. I mean, like, yeah, obviously we get why you did it, but you're still wrong. So 
I don't know if they're going to lock him up in that creepy ass room they had Yuji in for a while or what they're going to do, but I think they would just um, maybe they would just kick him out. But I think even if they do lock him up in that weird ass room, Mekamaru, that's a net win for him because he's not in constant pain and he has a body that works now. So, like, what are you going to do? You know, this is a, this was definitely in his best interest. And I completely understand and I honestly agree with his decision to do this. Like, I don't blame him at all. So, yeah, no. so yeah, I, I don't think he cares what happens as long as he lives. But I don't think he will. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. And it's going to give us the next episode. If it picks up with that fight and not some high school romance drama, I think it'll be it'll be a fucking banger episode. Yes, yes. I, I do wonder how this this high school uh, romance is going to play into this season because they spent a lot of time um, with that girl's backstory and like explaining who she was. There has to be something going on there. They they wouldn't have spent ten minutes of the episode on that for no reason. Oh, definitely. And I've heard this is a very sad season, so uh, my deduction Ugh. skills are making me feel good about it. Yeah, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. <laughs> okay. But yeah, the episode ended with uh, kind of like the beginning of that fight in the in the giant mech. So, ready for some One Piece, Dan? Let's do it. All righty, then. So, we have One Piece, episode 1074. I trust Momo. Luffy's final powerful technique. Hype as fuck. Hype as fuck. So, as the flower festival below is coming to an end, Momo continues to struggle in creating flame clouds to sustain Onigashima. And Luffy begins his final attack and states that he trusts Momo to get Onigashima the fuck out of the way. And I don't trust him. Um, I don't trust him as far as I can throw his dragon for him. Little fuck boy. But the episode starts... Not at all. Damn. (laughs) <laughs> not throwing a 30 meter long dragon very far exactly i can't throw him <laughs> um so imagine the, you, i'm just imagining you spinning around like luffy was with kaido doing the freaking <laughs> mario bowser toss i got some good grapples i got some good grapples um but the episode starts with momo trying to create flame clouds while onigashima is kind of like bursting in the flames it starts like falling to the side a little bit too it's kaido is definitely on his last legs and then we go into flashbacks, you know, almost typically saying, you know, I can't do that. And then it, that spurs like some flashbacks and it goes back to him having to leave his mom and uh, his sister and the burning uh, Kazuki castle. And he's telling his mom he can't do anything. And I, I thought there was some really good uh, parenting by Kenny Mon here. He told Momo, you know, stop crying. You know, th- you live in a land of samurai. That uh, where you know honor encourages everything. People get killed for less. He's like, you know, if if a woman requests something and sets her resolved, resolved, a man has no right to cry. That is mortal shame. And did you think this was like a fair comment in the moment to Momo? Yeah, I think it was. You know, I mean, Momo lost his father in this scenario, and he needs somebody to have that father role, like you're talking about. And um, I did find it funny though that. While he's saying this, every single retainer is bawling their eyes out. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They're, they've all been through a lot that day. Um, I think Kenny Mon meant like you know crying about the request from the woman. So he was crying because his lord was dead, and he he was he he had to sit there and watch it happen. But he's still crying, so it is what yeah. it is. 
Samurai um, don't shed no tears. No, no. I, I thought it was it was it was semi fair by you know okay man there, but could you really be mad at a? This is the one time I'm going to come to Momo's defense. Could you really be mad at an eight year old that uh, just lost his father? His house is burning down, and now he's telling he's going to have to leave his mom and sister in that burning house with people coming to kill them. Don't think I could tell an eight year old to shut up and stop crying. No, not at all. But I don't but live in an anime. So. I'm also an ordinary child in this scenario. I'm not Momo. I am not the next Shogun of Wano. You know? No. Yeah. At the same time. At the same time. Um, so Odin's retainers, including Kenimana, like begging Momo to go to the past. And this was this this hurt my heart for Kenimana. And they've been through a lot that day, like I said. And he's literally sitting there crying, begging Momo, saying, look, I, I had to go through this disgrace today. I had to watch my lord die. Um, we can either die in this fire right now, or you can let me die as a samurai fighting for my lord in the future. And, you know, Momo's saying, I'm just an ordinary child. I can't do anything, which is not true. He's not an ordinary child. He kind of pulls it together, which I thought was really cool. And he walks over to the retainers and says, mother... I'm going. And his mother smiles. She's still, everybody's still crying, but she smiles at him and sends him on their way. And we come back to the present and Momo says, you know what? I'm not an ordinary child. He, he finally kind of breaks out of this, this shell that he's been in. Um, and says, I, I, I'm no longer going to say I cannot. So his resolve is coming together. Finally, he, he's had some big moments in the raid for sure, but I think he's about to turn a real corner. I think I've said this before, but I really believe it this time, Dan. It's coming. It's definitely coming. <laughs> and one one scene I really liked from this was when he was saying, like, if I don't do this, how can I look my mother in the face or something along those lines? And it's true. I mean, like, your mother sacrificed herself to send you into the future to save the world of Wano or the country of Wano. And if you can't pull for pull through that for her. And for Odin, like, how are you going to look at him in the afterlife, you know? Yeah, go stick your head in the sand, kid. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he... He's doing that the whole time. Yeah, he's going to do that for the rest of his life. He don't get his shit together. But, yeah, I, I really like the first part of this episode. I thought it was really cool. Um, but back to Roof Piece. Yeah, back to the part of the episode that was really cool. Holy shit, right? Um, so we go back to the, to, the, to the fight on the roof, and Kaido... We we come in hot, right? And Kaido is watching Luffy literally grab lightning. And he's like, dude, this is ridiculous that you can actually do that. Like, you can grab lightning now. Just, just what is this? And the animation of this scene where he's, like, using Kaido like a fucking pinball in a pinball machine. And it's, like, throwing down spears of lightning and using it, like, you know, bunging it off of it and whatnot. I thought this was so beautifully animated, man. It was insane. And I think you were saying, and Tyler was saying a few weeks ago, or last week, that the lightning scene wasn't done justice. Are you feeling differently about that now? Yeah, they fixed it. Um, Let's go. You know, like, I mean, they were like, I had told you, I talked to you off the podcast, and I was like, dude, like, Luffy didn't look menacing, like, in the manga. Luffy's, like, the shadows on Luffy and the shitting grin and everything else, they added that in really well i mean you would have scenes where luffy all you could see is bright red eyes luffy's just a shadow grabbing on the lightning i mean like this might be the best animated scene in one piece for me 
Oh, okay. I, I think. I mean, just how well it was done. I mean, Kaido being thrown around like a rag doll. Like Bass is saying, like a pinball. I mean, Luffy is like putting him into the ground and he's bouncing off. And like the, I mean, how many com- how many combos did he have right there? Right, that had to be like a twenty combo breaker of just flawless <laughs> animation. Yeah, it was it was honestly an amazing scene. It was very beautifully done. Um, I, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, "There's no way this didn't do it justice. There's just no fucking way, right?" And it was just amazing. And like, how ridiculous is it that like this man's like grabbing plasma, turning into rubber, and like I think Luffy actually like slingshotted himself at one point off one of like I don't know what to call them, lightning bolts. Um, and like slings himself at Kaido again for another attack, and you know Kaido's still trying to fight back. He he's holding his own. Like I don't think at any point, um, for an extended amount of time, Kaido has like been fucked up during this whole fight. But he's getting worn the fuck down. Like he he's you can you know he's no we know he's on his last legs. But Kaido came back strong. Now Luffy's up in the sky, and. Uh, he like comes down to grab Kaido, but Kaido figures out where he was. And he says, you know, like stop, you know, stop playing or you can play around all you want. A devil fruit power will never conquer the world. That shit hit, you know, cause I think everybody's really hyped up on gear five right now. And, and Kaido kind of brings it back down to earth. And he's like, it's like Roger only hockey can trump all else. And then he, this was also a clean animation, right? Right here. When Kaido, um, hit with the destroyer of death under Bauga. And uh, like, just like the knockback and everything from that was, I thought that was a very well done scene uh, from the animators as well. I honestly liked it better than the, the lightning. I just, the whole, the whole, the whole episode was, sequence right here was insane. Yes. And yeah, I mean the fact that when he made contact with Luffy, you could just see it in Luffy's like how he looked when he made contact. It was nuts. Yes. Man looked yes. out of a Looney Tunes car, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like Kaido was saying, you know, Roger didn't have one. Odin, he called him him. Odin didn't have a devil fruit. Like, in yeah, it's really all about what, what, your, what your hockey's working with. And it, it's just, it, the, the way they showed, like, the immense power of Destroyer Death was, was pretty amazing to me. They did, like, that huge zoom out of the island and, like, just, like, the blast radius. Boy got smacked. Oh, definitely, dude. One thing I've loved about this episode is there was, I think, a few times where Luffy just was, like, burnt to a husk, and he Mm -hmm. had to shake it off. I loved that, dude. I think they did a really (laughs) good job with those scenes, too. Yes, I've I've been, uh, I've been really enjoying it, and I thought they were kind of mixing in a little bit of the the Flower Festival down below uh, in in, in the Flower Capital, and I thought this was honestly some of the best animation i've seen here recently like period like the amount of bloom and like hand-drawn scenes that were um of the flower capital or in the flower capital i mean combined with the emotion of them you know the 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 flower festival coming to an end really hit home for me um and seeing all the sky boats just like going up in the air it was really really beautifully done oh definitely and it was nice to not have the same recycled two-minute scene of the the uh the flower capital during the festival because like every time they've shown it in like the last like 20 episodes it's been the exact same scene of people dancing people hitting the drums everything else and it's like thank god they finally reanimated something here (laughs) so 
from there, we kind of get into like the Samurai's Resolve. And um, Boss, I forget the, the gentleman's the little fellow's name with the big ass uh, peanut looking head. He kind of uh, asked. Huiguro? How do you pronounce it? Huiguro. You are correct, actually. Huiguro. And he asked the samurai, he's like, you know what? Guys, are you okay with dying if that means Kaido's defeated? And they all laughed. And they were it's just like, of course. Like that's that's why I'm fucking here, dude. Like, yeah, let's 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 give it. Let's let's give it our all. And they kind of start listing off their reasons for that being okay. You know, I have a daughter in so and so town, or my family lives so and so town, and they can all live happily ever after if that happens. So I thought it was cool. I mean, we've seen the Samurai's resolve months ago at this point with them getting on the boats and destroying the boats when they showed up in Onigashima, but them really doubling down here was phenomenal. Added even more gravity to the situation on the roof. It it tied it all back together, what was really on the line here. Oh, definitely. I mean, it was great to see. And the fact that we know that based on... Um, Jinbei with all the water you know the fire is going out but it's really cool to see like you said the samurai's resolve i mean these guys are fucking dogs absolute dogs hell yeah like i mean they're 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 fucking suicide raiders they're, and they're doing it for their families like you know these are samurai this is what kenny man was talking about it's all about honor resolve you know standing on your two feet and, and doing what you got to do no matter what and not frowning about it and it it tied in that 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 scene when Kitty Mountain was talking to um, Momo. This is this is a land of absolute honor, and they they showed it right there. They laughed at in the face of death. True dogs, like you said. Oh, so man, um, after that, yeah, and you and we we talked about Luffy being burnt and kind of remembering who he's fighting for. We get some beautiful scenes um, where Boss Yogo. Is like, you know, telling Luffy, he's like, Straw Hat Man, you truly are different. And it's kind of just like a little little short montage of everything that's been going on in the in, in uh, Wano. And Luffy pulls Kaido into the air with his arms stretched out. And we get to see the biggest fucking fist I've ever seen in anime coming down out of the sky. Yeah, I, I don't think people understand the gravity of how big that fist actually is i mean it's bigger than onigashima and like if you think about it back when they first got there you you saw the thousand sunny next to it mm -hmm. it was tiny that is a 30 meter tall boat that is the size of a fucking titan <laughs> a colossal titan that is the size of the biggest titan that is as tall as the walls in attack on titan and this fist is making that giant ass fortress look like a play set yes like this attack is massive right and then you have Yamato she's like uh, like really just dumbfounded like the look on her face she's like can't believe what she's seen she didn't know Luffy had something like this in his arsenal um, and he's like yeah she's like she, he, can, he can turn Onigashima into a hole and the times, the, your time's up, Momo. It's, it's time, to, time to get this thing moving out of the way. And Luffy kind of just smiles at, at um, 
Momo and like with such a trusting face that it reminds him of his mother when he originally came to the future. And that's kind of where we leave off. But there's something that I want to bring up uh, with you, Dan. I've been rewatching Water 7, as you know. Uh-huh. And just the difference in animation, man, I know this is a long time ago, Water 7 was, but it's just crazy to see. Because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going from watching Water 7 and it's like, oh, the new episode's out. And then it's like, holy shit. Like, this is on a different level. And like I said, with the lanterns, the skyboats, and then like just like even like the steals of Kaido when he was taking over Wano, where it was just stunning to go from, you know, mid two thousands to this twenty twenty three beauty of an anime. So shout oh. out to the anime the animators on this. Yeah, I mean, like I after watching the the live action, I kind of want to go back and watch the East Blue Saga, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be really uh interesting to see the difference in animation quality i mean i know it's it's what 20 years or 18 years or something like that i think we're at 19 19 jesus yeah we're old brother we're old but like wano's just been insane dude like i don't think anybody is keeping up with what they've been doing on this and people no. always talk map of this map of that and mappa makes beautiful shows but just the sure. all-star cast of animators they've put together for this. I'm curious to see if they hang on to the the staff for the next arc. I would love that. I think we'd all be rejoicing. But is it, I think they only bring like certain people on for you know so, you know certain things like big fights or the heightened moments of the anime. I don't think it's worth it to have them around all the time, just depending on what the budget's like. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and where the they need those people. Non-existent at this point. <laughs> it is one piece. You're right. But yeah, I, I hope they do, but I don't, I'm not too hopeful that it's just going to be stunning every episode. Oh yeah, no, it definitely won't be. But I hope they can keep the big fights up to this gravity of animation. I think that's what I, all, all I want. Oh, I want. they're definitely going to do that. Yeah. I think, I think they got that on lock at this point. Because even with what's going on in the manga right now, there's there's some crazy shit coming. Okay, yeah, and like I, I think you also have to do it in in spots at, at least because even though like you're you're weekly you're weekly, um, anime like you have to keep up with the quality of the seasonal ones. Yeah, definitely. So, but I awesome think we're in a good spot. Yeah, definitely, man. I'm really excited. For I believe the climactic ending next episode, I think we're hitting it. Unless that fist stays in the air for two weeks, um, I think next week's it. It's One Piece, man. You never know. <laughs> for sure, for sure. We're gonna have we're gonna have a recap episode next week, and I'm gonna go cry in a corner. <laughs> I'll sit beside you. Uh, but awesome, guys. Well, we really hope you enjoyed this weekly rundown. Uh, again make sure to rate the podcast on your favorite platforms it helps us a lot and it's free to do so uh, no excuses uh, if you guys have any questions about what we're talking about make sure to join the discord linktree.com slash anime you know we can be in there we talk about it we have a spoiler section where we talk about the shows weekly and uh, we'd love to love to hear your guys opinion on it alright guys peace